And we are titling this in general, My Favorite Verses from a Prison. As we mentioned last week, Philippians was written from the Roman prison on Paul's first imprisonment, along with Colossians, Ephesians, and the book of Philemon. It interests me what a man would write from a prison, particularly when he writes under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about how to be ready to live or to die from Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This morning, we pick up a verse in chapter 2 that is not quite so well known as the one we used in chapter 1, but one of my favorite verses from a prison. Please take note of it once again. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. The modern language translation of that verse reads like this, then make my joy complete by being in agreement, having the same love, being united in spirit, having the same attitude. We call this message keeping our friends and winning our enemies. If we are to be fulfilled in 1987, if we are to have the health of God in our lives, we need this message, we need this verse very desperately. You don't read too much of the Apostle Paul until you discover one of his great themes. That is that the Christian life is a shared life. It cannot help but be that. In the 27th verse of the first chapter, he said, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul's message was a message of getting along with one another. Such a vital message for family, a vital message for church, a vital message for the person in the workplace. Getting along with one another. I was listening to Oral Roberts and his son Richard on TV the other morning. When I heard Oral use a word, the word was the word betrayal. He was talking to people who were entering into 1987 with feelings of bitterness, anger, wrath. He said, I know how you feel. You feel betrayed. I know what that feeling is like. I've experienced betrayal in my own life. And you don't often expect it in the Christian community, but nonetheless it's there. You could expect it in the secular world and do find it in the secular world, but he said it's the most hard or difficult to take in the Christian world. I began thinking as I observed and listened of some of my own feelings in recent weeks and months and years in the ministry, how I have felt betrayed. How when you pour your life into people, when suddenly they say it's the will of God for me to go somewhere else, and I always question that statement, the will of God. I come back to this passage of Scripture to know that it hurts, and that Paul hurt when there was separation and division in the kingdom of God. Paul felt it was always better for the church to stick together. And that's why he wrote to this church, this local church at Philippi, saying, be of one mind, strive together in the work of the gospel. Don't divide, don't separate. The problems of that local church are highlighted in the fourth chapter and the second verse, if you'd like to notice. 
He said, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Here were two women in the church fighting, disagreeing, causing discord in the family of God. One person reading this particular verse said, I implore you, Odia, and soon touchy to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I guess it's a good translation, isn't it? Because we are all a little bit like that, soon touchy. But these women were bringing problems into the local church. These women were having such disagreement that it was bringing harm to the faith, to the witness in the community. I've thought of these two women at times. What a way to get your name in the Bible. Being fussers. Being people of disagreement. I would choose another way. But it is a reminder to us that there are underlying causes of division in the body of Christ and in families, and we need to deal with that as 1987 begins. From a prison, Paul wrote to us, I urge you to be of the same mind. I urge you to strive together in the same love. Be of one accord. Well, what are we going to have to overcome to bring that about? There are three basic things that I want you to take home with you today. The first thing we fight is the underlying cause of selfishness. You cannot talk about this matter of division without talking about selfishness. How many of you remember the Andy Griffith television program? His name on that was Andy Taylor. He was the sheriff. And he had a little boy by the name of Opie. And he was a fellow who loved to live and get into all kinds of things. And in the program, Andy Taylor's wife died, Opie's mother. It left Andy and Opie alone. And Andy knew that wasn't good, so he wrote to Aunt B, and he invited Aunt B to come and live in to help him with Opie. And she came. And as it would be, they took her fishing, they took her frog catching, so that Opie and she could become attached. But instead... She fails miserably at fishing, at frogging, and football. And finally, in frustration, late at night, she comes to Andy while Opie's in bed, and she says, I can't take it anymore. Take me to the bus station. I'm going to go back home. So they go outside, and Opie, from his room, hears his Aunt B crying down below his window, and he realizes as she is weeping that she's leaving. And he jumps out of bed and he runs downstairs and bursts out the door yelling at his father and he shouts, Pa, we can't let her go. She needs us. He said she can't even catch frogs. She can't take fish off the hook or throw a football. We've got to take care of her, or she'll never make it. Oh, what a change when a little boy realized what really makes life work. When he began to think about Aunt B instead of about Opie, things changed. They did make it. Verse 4 comes into play. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
What would save marriages time and again? This passage. What would save relationships in the church? This passage. What would save church hopping? This passage. What would save job situations? This passage where we feel like we are put down. We haven't had the opportunity that should have been ours. This passage will do it every time. Think not on the things of your own, but on the things of others. And this is coming to us from a man who should have been thinking about himself. A verse from a prison. Selfishness lives today. It's a problem that all of us face, continually causing differences in the church and in homes and on the job. Where is the antidote? It's in this same chapter, verses 5 through 8. Look at it again with me. Great words. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He chose a better way. His will was at work. He made himself of no reputation. Jesus chose to be a servant. A godly humility took over in his life. He laid hold of his heart until he could say from the cross, even to those who crucified him, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He gave himself. And verses 3 and 4 play a big part in this whole process. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. How much of life comes out of selfish ambition and conceit? But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. I guarantee you that that would solve marriage problems. It would solve church schisms. It would solve the difficulties we face in the secular world of trying to climb the corporate ladder and not worrying about what happens on the way. This is a word for life in the 20th century. Friends, let me say to you that I believe God is saying to the Christian today, don't be a tool of Satan. We fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. We fight humanism, we fight atheism, we fight materialism, we fight so many isms today, and idolatry has a tendency to take hold of the Christian mind and the Christian heart. Some people justify selfishness because the world is a jungle. Everybody's out for himself. But remember, that doesn't stand up with this verse from a prison. We've got to remember what Jesus pictured for us what he lived for us to follow. And that was self-effacement. That was getting down on the lowest rung of the ladder. It's not a jungle. It's a garden. If you plant and water, oh, it could be a jungle if you plunder and uproot. But God didn't make it a jungle. He made it a garden. So we could plant and water and grow crops that will benefit us and heal us and help us and touch others. We keep our friends and win our enemies when we remember this simple truth. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Selfishness will destroy that every time. My wagon! My bottle! My toy! 
that's mine. One of the first words we ever learned, mine. And we grasp and we hold on to and we fight and we knock and we bully our way around. Even as adults, not finding Jesus' way, he humbled himself. I like that. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. What condescension. We've got to learn that in 87. Number two, we have to keep in mind the basics. When we forget the basics, we let this great truth slip from us. One of the basics is to remember when you have a tendency to get critical of the people around you is what Paul said in Romans. We are all sinners. Now that ought to encourage you as you look up and down the road today. You're all equal in that regard. You're all sinners. We're all born in sin and shapen in iniquity. We are all saved by the same Lord Jesus. We all come the same route through the blood of the cross. Those are the basics. We read the same Bible. Note in the second chapter in the 16th verse how Paul says, holding fast the word of life. Out of this word flows life. So if we're reading the same Bible, we ought to come up with the same conclusion. Oh, there are times we must speak up on vital issues that have the tendency to divide. We must maintain vital convictions that are based upon the Bible, but not hate. And this is what Paul is saying. We hold the word of life. Grip it. Don't let it go. Those are the basics. And of course, we're going to the same heaven. There are not compartments in heaven. We must learn to work together and live together this short time that we pilgrimage on earth. You say, oh man, it's so hard. Somehow we've gotten the idea that there'll be a Baptist compartment and a Lutheran compartment and a Pentecostal compartment in heaven won't be. There are no dividers up there. There are no walls up there. We've got to learn to work together and live together here on the basis of the Word of God. That's the basics. Coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. That's the process. And from the prison, Paul says to the Philippians, you're in danger of undoing everything that the Holy Spirit has done in your midst. You're in danger of tearing everything down that has been built up. Simply because you're seeking your own way. Come back to the basics. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all saved through the blood of Christ. We all have to abide by the teachings of the word. We're all going to the same heaven if we're trusting the Lord Jesus. Stand on those things. On those things, you will be complete. Friends, it's the same today. With so many voices ringing out, so many isms coming down the turnpike, there's only one thing that will hold us, and that's this book. This verse from a prison. Be of one mind, be of one accord. That's when Pentecost came, when they were in one place with one mind, in one accord, the Holy Spirit fell, and the church went out to win its world. So it will be in 87. Keep the basics. Number three, we see all of this often undercut because we don't like to die. 
Nobody likes to die. Positionally, we are to be dead with Christ. Paul said something that just gets me every time I think of it. He said, I die daily. Every day, he said, I die. What was he saying? I die to Paul. I die to self. It is not I that lives, but Christ that liveth in me. The sign in the tailoring and dyeing shop, perhaps some of you have seen, I live to die. I die to live. The more I die, the more I live. The more I live, the more I die. Of course, it's spelled D-Y-E, but it sure has theological power. I live to die. Think of that. I die to live. The more I die, the more I live. The more I live, the more I die. Oh, but we hate to die. We don't want to put ourselves under. What keeps people awake at night? I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I don't sleep good. Boy, I'm glad I don't have that problem. I sleep too good. If that's possible. I have heard their voice. I've listened to their cry. What do I hear? Often I hear them saying, they misused me. I want to get even. There's a sense of unfair dealing in their heart. Injured pride. Oh, any number of things. And it's keeping them awake at night. They're not sleeping. They haven't put to rest these issues that have to do with other people. If I could only get even. No wonder people stay awake at night. Don't need to. Die daily. Just die. Go ahead and die. Just put it behind you, saying, what difference does it make anyway? In light of eternity, I'm not going to let this thing eat me up. It's not the way Christ would deal with it. It's all so unhealthy. It's like Fred sang, let it go. Let it go. Paul could say, I do that. I do it every day. I die daily. Dwight Moody said, my greatest enemy is myself. I think if we were honest, we would say that too. We don't like to die. But the word of God comes to us today saying, you must. Die to self. Die to your own ambition. Die to your own will. And begin to look around you and see what God would have you to do to minister to someone else and to help alleviate somebody else's burden. Don't be selfish. Remember the basics. Learn to die. Be like-minded. Have the same love. Be of one accord. Be of one mind. I feel so lucky to be a part of the family of God. I don't think I could think otherwise. I feel so blessed to be grafted in. I wasn't born a Jew. I didn't get this by birth. I got it by new birth. You see, the Jews were the promised seed. But I was a Gentile born that way. But I was grafted in through the blood of Jesus Christ. So I feel so grateful to be in that family today. How could I ever be selfish? 
I want to be of the same mind and in one accord with God's family. Oh, broken sometimes, misunderstood sometimes, but grafted in anyway. That is the way God intended it to be for all of us. I feel lucky to be there. How about you? Reminds me of the newspaper ad. It went something like this. Lost, one dog, brown hair with several bald spots. Right leg broken due to auto accident. Rear left hip hurt. Right eye missing. Left ear bitten off in a dog fight. Answers to the name, lucky. <laughs> That's the way I feel. <laughs> ear bitten off, eye gouged out. It's kind of the picture of the church sometime. Attacked on every front. Gouged at by the enemy. And the enemy's pawns, but grafted in, lucky to be a part of God's family. And the message to the church is, you will survive. You are going to outlast everything, time, and all else included. Hallelujah. Paul shouts, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The 11th through the 13th verses of the 14th chapter of the same book, from a prison. I know how to abound, and I know how to be abased. That's why we've got to come to, folk, if we're going to keep our friends and in our enemies. I know this, God wants us to be together and leave a mark on our world in 87. And it will come when we follow this beautiful principle that he writes from a prison. A youth director from Southern California attended the Special Olympics in Los Angeles about three years ago, maybe a little more than that. You know what the Special Olympics are for that special group of people whose bodies sometimes grow beyond their mental powers. They say that in most of them, life stops about seven years. Now, they may be many years older than that, and their bodies may be much larger than a seven-year-old, but everything kind of stops at age seven. And it was this group that was participating in the Special Olympics in Los Angeles. Some of you have seen that on television. He said, as I watched the 220, which is about half of the track, he said there was a young boy by the name of Andrew who was running the 220, and he was really fast, he said. In fact, he was so fast, he moved out ahead of all of the other runners and was at least 50 yards in front of the nearest competitor and nearing the finish line when Andrew, out of the corner of his eye, saw his friend fall in the track on the other side. While people were yelling, come on, come on, from the finish line, Andrew stopped. And he turned around and took off to where his friend was, lying in the cinders of the track. And he reached down and took him by the hand and lifted him on his feet. And the two of them finished the course last. But guess what happened? The crowd stood to their feet and applauded as Andrew and his friend crossed the line. And Andrew was awarded the sportsmanship trophy 
for the Special Olympics. Now, what's the theological point of that beautiful story? Oh, it's so simple. It's not whether you're number one, whether it's in the home, the job, or in the church. What's important is that you finish the race. That's what matters. That's what the New Testament is all about. Run that you may obtain. Not that you may be number one, but that you may obtain, that you may finish. That was Paul's driving passion, that he might run to be counted worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be passing out the rewards at the end of the race. Friends, we need to get this out of our minds that it's God's will for us always to be number one. I learned in marriage quite early that that's not always God's will. You sometimes have to take the second seat in order to keep unity and harmony and fellowship. And after 33 years, you become an expert at doing it. And it's fun to make her think that she's really number one. It pays tremendous dividends. Tell you, she serves me better now than she ever has. Because I keep letting her know she's number one. (laughs) Somehow we need a baptism of second chair. You ever sat in the second chair? It's not so bad if you're the best second chair there is. And how important to the whole sound of the symphony if the second chair plays in cooperation with the first chair. Somehow Jesus Christ looks down at his church as 1987 begins and says to us, it's not so important that you be number one, but that you finish the race. And sometimes that means cutting back across the track and taking somebody by the hand and finishing last, but finishing with somebody in your grasp, not being out getting the trophy for number one all by yourself. This is God's message from a prison to the church. It isn't right that God's people be at odds with one another. It isn't right that Christian marriages should be ending in divorce. It is not right. God hates it. It isn't right that Christians not speak to each other. It isn't right that husbands should come home and give the silent treatment for a night or a day or a wife, not say anything because you're not going to give in What would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle it? I have a picture of that. Jesus stooping down to get on his knees to say, whatever is the problem, forgive me. I want to make it better. I want to make it better to do that than to have ulcers, to get cancer, mental suffering, 
Stay awake at night. Be ineffective in your life at home, in the church, and in the community. It isn't right that God's people should live at odds with the other. It isn't right that we be so non-Christ-like as to murmur and complain and disrupt. So I look for the answer from one of my favorite verses from a prison. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You say impossible. Well, it wouldn't be in here. If it was impossible, it wouldn't be here. It's possible. If we follow the example Jesus set forth, who humbled himself, you see, Paul didn't even use his own life as an example. He used the life of Jesus. And he said, you humble yourself and you become like a servant. That means the bottom rung of the ladder. And you begin to reach out to others. Yesterday, in Chicago, the defending Super Bowl champions lost to a wild card team from Washington, D.C. And they lost bad. You know why they lost? Because they didn't follow this verse from a prison. In my football opinion, Chicago will not repeat because this season has been a season of division with the Chicago Bears. Last year, they were unified. They were one. And they walked through everybody including New England in the Super Bowl, walked over top of them. This year, division, strife, disunity. And they got walloped by a wild card team. You want to lose? Be selfish. Forget the basics. And forget to die. And you'll lose. But if you'll do it in 87 Jesus' way, we will so touch this world that it will bring many across the finish line with us, which is really what's important. Is it worth your feeling to lose your marriage? Is it worth your feeling to separate yourself from the family of God? Is it worth your opinion to lose your job or the opportunity that God may have for you in the future by just being faithful? From a prison, Paul says, oh, I long that you be of one mind. Live in one accord. Let the spirit of Jesus Christ, the humble servant, permeate your life and your whole atmosphere. You may not be number one, but you'll finish the race. And it will be with joy. That's God's word for us on the first Sunday of 1987. So important to our health and our development. Let's pray together. Every head bowed. As we talk to God who believes in what he said to the church. That it's possible to be of one mind, one accord to have the same spirit and to win. 
Oh, Lord God, there is a beautiful sense of your presence in this room right now. We know that you're reaching down into hearts. This is not the kind of message we stand up and shout about because it touches us all right where we live. For every one of us from the pulpit to the back row have had times when we've complained and griped and murmured like Miriam after the crossing of the Red Sea. And we've deserved deserve leprosy like she got for the murmuring, but you have spared us somehow. But yet again, we're not spared from many of the ravages that that murmuring brings and that self-seeking produces. So we're asking for a healing today. We're asking for your Holy Spirit to apply the blood of Jesus to us today all over this auditorium. Lord, I'm praying for marriages today to heal relationships not only between husbands and wives, but children in the home who have sought their own way with total disregard for their parents' desires and wishes. Heal the breach. Let not everyone seek their own way. Lord, we thank you for the unity you've given us at Capital Christian Center, such a spirit of togetherness and forwardness. But Lord, if the devil could do anything, he would like to bring disunity. And we stand against him in the name of Christ, that we may be one in our purpose, our goals. And then, Lord, where people are in the workaday world, may the self-seeking stop, and may we seek to lift up Jesus Christ every day of the week and be a servant. The world needs servants. So grant out of this great fellowship, they will come by the hundreds and the thousands. And while our heads are bowed and before we tack our amen on our prayer, it is apparent to me that on New Year's Sunday people come seeking to begin a new walk. It may be that you're here today seeking to follow Jesus Christ for the first time in your life or perhaps to get back to where you once were with him. I invite you to that place where he will take you by the hand and let you know you really are his because you've chosen faith in Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you. If you would just lift your hand and hold it there till I see it, I want to include you in our closing prayer. By that hand, you're saying, Pastor Cole, I want to know Jesus personally. God bless you right over here. Hands went up immediately. God bless you. Thank you so much. Others, just raise them up till I see them. Yes, back there under the balcony toward the back on my left. Thank you back there. Over here to my right. God bless you there. Hold them till I see them. Then you may put them down. God bless these that have already responded. Over to my left. Thank you. Back over there. Up in the balcony, way up there. God bless you. I see your hand up in the corner. Praise God. Over to my right. Another. Thank you there. Others, quickly. Don't want to tarry. Your opportunity. If there's anyone else, I want to pray for you. How many of you would like to slip a hand up and say, Pastor, I know that you've spoken to my need today. There's something I need to resolve within me, and I don't want it to become a cancer in my spirit. 
I want to deal with it right now in prayer. Would you raise your hand? You know Jesus, but there's something there. Yes, just slip it up. Yes, all over this building. Numbers of people are raising their hand. Lord Jesus, I do pray for these precious people, those that have raised their hands saying, I need Christ in my life. Oh, may they know today that heaven's door is open and you welcome them in. Forgive them of their sin. Write their name down in heaven's book. And Lord Jesus, for these others that have raised their hands saying, there's something within me I need to resolve. May it be resolved. May they have the courage to attack it to follow through with whatever it is you're saying to them. And may there be healing, blessed healing, in every life. We ask in Jesus' great name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. As we stand, please remain in God's presence for a moment as we sing this great song of dedication. Let it be so all over this auditorium that we surrender to him right now as we sing. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. that our staff stand here in front. I want to ask three company companies of people to move to the front as we close. Number one, the group that raised their hands saying, I want to follow Christ. I want to give my life to him. I have a tape and a booklet I want you to take with you. I want you to come and say to one of our pastors, I'm going to follow Jesus. The second group, those who raised their hands saying, I need to let go of something. I'll tell you one way to do it is to move to the altar and just come down and say, I'm going to make this right. I'm not going to carry this with me. The third group, those who need water baptism, you've put it off, you've given your life to Christ, but you need to testify by baptism. Tonight you can do that. Come to the flag over here and get a booklet. Be a part of tonight's water baptismal.